Hi everyone, it's Luke from Out of the Time here. Welcome to our latest episode. This is me and Dave talking with Paul Bowker from Brick Lane Brewing. We'll join the conversation halfway through our chat all about their new dark hoppy beer called Revolver. Uh, and then we'll chat about all things Brick Lane. It's a really fun chat and I actually really enjoyed learning about Brick Lane and some of the, um, some of the story behind it. We'll be recording another one of these next week, or oh, sorry, 15th of August, depending on when you hear this, and we'll be doing a stream to YouTube as well, like we did with this one. So, if you keep an eye on the Isle of a Time Facebook, we'll put a, a note in there and a link in there so you can join us for the, the chat and ask any questions of our guest. Uh, Dave is also in the process of organizing a stout float night slash day live tasting thing. Uh, the history behind that is a couple of years ago, Dave uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek did a stout float, so ice cream and stout in the same glass, uh, and started his sort of stout float night in response to like IPA Day and, and International Beer Day and all those things. Uh, he's decided to bring it back now um, for to do some online stuff now that we're still sort of in lockdown and winter's ending. Uh, what better time to do a stout float thing? So we'll also put information about that up on um, on the Isle of a Time social media. Uh, but for now, we'll throw to Paul Bowker describing the Revolver Dark Hoppy. too heavy on the malt then um they can tend to sweetness pretty quickly um after a while in the can so um at the moment i think it's drinking beautifully so hopefully it'll all be gone before it uh <laughs> before it develops any of those sort of uh aging characters it's um it is really fresh uh, one of the things i noticed yesterday there's a a real hop uh palette kind of you know that that really fresh when you open hop palettes even i guess fresh hops as well um yeah, so it's still, still, I guess, uh, bursting with flavour. Um, hopefully, you know, these kind of beers, I always think they, they do last a little bit longer than a, you know, a lighter coloured IPA or a, a pale ale. So, yeah. yeah. Um, they tend to sort of like, even when they're not at their most vibrant, it still is a good flavour profile. Like, it's not all about the how fresh the hop, uh, hop flavour is. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the delicate balances, once you start using crystal malts and um, things like that, they tend to... Um, you know, they can overpower as, as a beer sort of spends a bit of time in can. So, but at the moment, it's uh, fresh and vibrant. And, you know, for a, for a dark beer, I actually find it quite refreshing and thirst quenching almost. So, it's, uh, yeah, we're pretty happy with it. Uh, now, I want to, let's talk about Brick Lane a little bit because uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating brand from the outside. Um, you know, when it launched, I, I I'll probably be the first to admit I was skeptical. Um, you know, anything with kind of high-profile high backers and a lot of money behind it, I immediately, you know, start questioning the motives. Um, I think you, you guys have kind of done a lot of uh, some really good beers and a lot of really good hospital stuff recently, which is, um, you know, that kind of thing kind of piqued my interest uh, more in the brand. And, you know, knowing John Salton, the brewer, um, and, and his, his expertise and, you know, some of the, as I said, the really good beers coming out, um, you know, it's... It's really been interesting to watch Brick Lane grow as a brand. Um, and I just kind of want to hopefully you can speak to where it started from and, and what you think of it as, a, I guess, a business. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you're right, though. there's a bunch of there. There's about 30 people um, who are invested in the brewery in, at different levels, <laughs> financially, emotionally, uh, <laughs> physically. Um, so it was a big group of people and all came together basically on day one. Um, so, I mean, our, our idea was to basically build the best brewery we could and make the best beers we possibly could. Um, and there's different ways of going about it. Like, they're all valid. I mean, you can start small and slowly grow your brand and your expertise and build up and move into bigger premises over time. Um, we, we actually wanted to sort of build the dream brewery, um, well, John Selton's dream brewery. Fortunately, he didn't have his hands on the checkbook, but, you know, he tried. Um, but he ended up with a pretty good brewery. But to do that, you know, that, that was deeper than a few of our pockets. So we wanted to get um, some more funding involved from the beginning. Um, we didn't want to sort of bring in debt because, you know, you don't want to have your whole business plan beholden to monthly interest payments, which, you know, drives behaviours you don't want. Um, we didn't want, you know, big breweries. We didn't want, um, you know, sort of corporates involved. Um, so you're left with, you know, friends, family and, and, and those, you know, sort of private investors, I guess. And um, when we decided on that, we went to a bit of a network of people we knew and people they knew. And um, fortunately, nearly everyone we approached was keen to tip in. So, um, yeah, it's a, you know, as you say, there's people in there that, you know, are known, but um, they're all fantastic people. And, you know, most of them are self-made. They're passionately interested in the brewery. They don't work in it, but um, they're certainly there and... Uh, they all, got, they all got a full pack of Revolver last week and uh, on our, our, our chat groups, the messages were flying thick and fast, so they're engaged. That's great. Um, and there's some New Zealand investors as well? Is there... Yeah, we've, we've got about, um, so of the 30, there's probably about 10 or so that are either in New Zealand or from New Zealand. So um, I guess it's a bit of an Australian-New Zealand <laughs> theme. Um, at the moment, we're, we're, we're just in Australia. You know, the brewery's in Melbourne um, and we're national in Australia, but... Over, over time, we'll move across to NZ as well. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, the challenge with New Zealand is um, they have so many good beers, like so many good beers. And uh, for an Australian-based company, just to bomb into NZ with no reason, it's not going to work. Lots of tried and everyone's failed that I know of. So. <laughs> there's also, um, you know, being New Zealander, that cynicism that, that as soon as you start seeing that kind of big project happening, you think, what are these guys up to? That's probably... Probably reflective of a lot of New Zealand beer, I think, as well. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I, I, you know, I can sort of see where the scepticism comes from. But um, I guess in our mind, it's almost the opposite. Because we built this great brewery and we've got people to put in, you know, genuine cash out of their pockets, um, we don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to hit a peak and sell out. I mean, we're, we've funded ourselves. So um, we can sort of create, create our own destiny a little bit. So it's, um, it's a good position to be in. Uh, what's your background? A uh, bit of everything. So I, um, I actually spent quite, quite about 10 years working in HOSPO, um, uh, which was usually part-time, um, but uh, through sort of uni and post-uni. And then I was, um, I was a lawyer for a while um, in, in Australia and over in the UK. And then uh, I've worked in oil and gas uh, engineering. Um, so a bit all over the place, but uh, probably the last 10 years before uh, Brick Lane, it was mainly uh, oil and gas and engineering. So um, lots of shiny, shiny, shiny stuff. Um, so the whole build project was pretty fascinating for me. How did you go from there to Brick Lane then? Yeah, I was, you know, it's like, you know, like a lot of people, um, you know, you spend a lot of time in offices in a bit of a corporate world and you want to do something different or something you're passionate about. 
Um, I've always been close to hospitality and I've done a lot of wine things, you know, like diploma and wine and I've made wine and that's always been a huge passion for me um, as is hospitality. And, you know, I was looking to do something different. I had a few friends who were looking to do something different and, um, yeah, we looked at all the options and beer just seemed like a, um, a great industry to get involved in. You know, we spent a bit of time obviously speaking to a lot of people and um, it's sort of, it's beer, it's hospitality, it's wine. They're, they're all similar. I mean, you can have, you know, a fun time in all of them. There's great people in all of them. Um, but beer just seemed to be the the best path because it was, um, you know, you could almost create your own business, whereas wine can, is kind of hard. You know, you've got, you've got vineyards, you've got actual production, um, you've got a winery that gets used, you know, a few months a year. Um, it's a pretty tough environment. Um, and beer was just so exciting and dynamic and controllable and you could, you know, you can brew every day of the year. You can do so many different things. You're not just subject to one particular vintage. So beer was the choice. And uh, when we decided to do that, we thought, you know, let's, let's do it properly. How did you manage to wrangle John Selton across? Um, it, was, it was a pretty funny story, actually. So um, it was me and another guy and uh, we, you know, we're not brewers. Um, so uh, we had a bit of a look around to see who was, who was in the market and who wasn't. And we put a couple of little blind feeler ads out there and uh, John John lobbed up one day and came in and um, another guy interviewed him and like literally within two minutes we said right you've got the job like but just let's keep talking you know it was um, one of those moments like you know you, you know John but like the passion is just it's off the charts and you know you just get mesmerized when he speaks and I think he sort of had us all dazed and you know uh, and that was it and uh, that was before we'd started building the brewery um, so we'd done all the early, um, um, all the early procurement process around the brew house and packaging, and then um, John came in and you know steered us in a bit of a better direction, probably to where we were heading. Uh, started writing bigger checks and what we wanted to write. Uh, but yeah, so so John's been in since the very beginning. You know, he's uh, he's one of the founders of the business. Um, the I guess the style of beer, um, you know, is the the base lager, which is in support of. Uh, Melbourne Storm and who's the other team? Uh, yeah, so it's um it's a standalone beer, but we um we do a version for Melbourne Storm and yeah. Melbourne Rebels. Um, Rebels, yeah. Actually, this week we've just released a Sunshine Coast Lightning can for them, um, which has got our our pale ale in it. Um, so it's just because we've got such a flexible brewery and packaging line, we can do these things pretty easily. Um, so yeah, where we've got sort of partnerships, it's no drama for us just to give them something a bit unique. Um, and then kind of right up to, you know, I saw you launch some sour beers, um, kind of as this whole thing kicked off. I saw the, um, there's a truck at Queen Vic Market with a sour yeah. beer, um, you know, or it looks beautiful. And then I sort of noticed that just as soon as COVID kicked off. Uh, yeah. It looked like you guys were planning something outdoorsy. <laughs> yeah, well, we, um, like Queen Vic Markets for us has been fantastic, actually. We, um, I, I don't know if you know the background of the markets, but they've, they've always had the last quite a while they've had exclusive beer contracts so different people have had it and Cooper's had it before us and um, anyway when we were still actually building the brewery we went into this tender process and pitched for it and you know it was pretty stupid we thought we've got no chance you know against the big guys um, the brewery hasn't even bloody completed um, and anyway we just you know said we'll throw everything at it you know when we have partnerships we throw it at it like we're there every week and so anyway we won this um, contract so we're the the beer of the Queen Vic Market. So we've got a, a permanent um, bar there that opened, uh, unfortunately, in January, just as the bushfires hit and now COVID. 
um, but that will, that's still there. So that will be um, reforming as soon as um, you know, restrictions lift. Um, but it also means we can do a lot of activation. So when, um, when COVID happened, um, they said, you can still do takeaway. And so we rolled in our caravan and um, they've been fantastic. So we're doing takeaways there um, out of the caravan. And that's all branded up with our new salvias. But um, it's, a, it's a really good partnership for us at Queen Vic Markets. We love it. What was it about your pitch that got you over the line? Oh, I think it was, um, you know, a lot of places, a lot of, and sort of, you know, we might sort of get onto these sort of things, but, um, you know, I guess big beer are great at a lot of things. You know, they make, you know, whether you like the styles or not, they make incredible beers. Like their quality attention to detail is second to none. Like, you know, you have a look at the technology they've got, the labs, the processes. It's, they're, they're quite incredible big breweries. Um, but they're also, because of their size, they can be a little bit distant sometimes from, from the customer. Um, and I guess we offer the personal touch and, you know, we um, physically, like, you know, I'm down there, John goes down there, the brewers go down there, like the real people behind Brick Lane are there, you know, every Wednesday because for us it's probably one of the most important partnerships we have that for Big Beer it's, um, it's a, a rounding error and it's just a, a sign of check activation and I think that's where breweries like us and all independent breweries that, that's where we've got the huge advantage. I mean, you're dealing with people who are so heavily involved in the business um, that they're passionate about it. And when you enter into a partnership with them, you get that, not just the beer. It's a good get. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's great. We love it there. I see the see the um, the brand, the circular, what they call the light boxes. Yeah. Uh, down Spring Bean Alley there every, every weekend. I'm, I'm there far too early for anything to be open. Um, oh, well, we are, you guys to be open. <laughs> once it... Um, like the, the Wednesday night markets, they're, they're bloody incredible. Like they are just absolutely sensational. And unfortunately, they're cancelled until, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if some of the markets will get up, but when they're on, the place is just buzzing. Like it is mm. awesome. And then non-night market days, we've got our bar there and we've got eight taps and it seats about 40 and we're open all day and, you know, we do tastings and bits and pieces. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, and you're doing hospo meals out, out of that for a while there? Yeah. Can you sort of explain that, so I guess, partnership with uh, Maha and, and how that all works? Yeah, so it was the All Together, all together sort of the initiative, which was a, um, a global initiative. And um, basically the, the process was, you know, it was a recipe that anyone um, could do, um, use uh, out of other half out in New York. And um, so we, we jumped on board and um, we got a call from, uh, from Ben, uh, ben Carlin at Carlin Sellers um, and he said, we're thinking about this and we were thinking about it. So we jumped in together. Um, and the concept is you use their recipe, their branding, and um, then a proportion of all the, all the proceeds, however you want to do it, um, either goes to the brewery making it or to hospitality. And, um, you know, we had a good chat with Ben and, you know, I guess all, all, all businesses have suffered and we suffered, but we were still going. And um, hospitality wasn't, you know, it was... Um, you know, on its knees and um, we looked at that and thought, well, the people who are really getting hit hard are, you know, the casual workers and, um, you know, casual hospitality workers were, they were the first laid off, you know, and, and they're out of work. And um, so our idea was, what, wouldn't it be great if we did this and then um, donated, you know, the proceeds back to um, meals for hospital workers. And, um, and then we got uh, Shane Delia from Maha on board, who's, you know, 
one of our shareholders as well. <laughs> um, and he basically donated all his time. Um, he did all the food. Um, we made the beer. Uh, ben Carlin and his team, another Ben, um, they sold the beer. Um, and basically we donated all these meals to POSCO workers. So every Friday um, down at the markets, we opened up the caravan and you just needed to uh, fill out an online registration and, and rock up and you got a free meal made by Shane, Shane Delia. So it was, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really cool. And it was kind of cool, um, you know, seeing people were sometimes reluctant to take free stuff, um, you know, under, you know, they don't want to be seen as, as charity. Uh, and seeing, you know, a lot of the social media around it and people really happy to be getting a free meal, which was, you know, it's nice. It's nice that people were willing to accept it and nice that you guys were willing to do it as well. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was the idea for, you know, getting Shane involved as well because, um, you know, we didn't want to... We didn't want that sort of thing. So basically we made sure it was a top-end meal. Like it's a Maha fine dining type meal. So people could come there and, you know, be bloody proud of having, you know, this fantastic sort of gourmet meal in amongst all the other madness that was going on. You could get your meal, go home and actually, you know, have that moment of pleasure. So much like the beer. <laughs> um, and can, we, can you tell me about the, um, you know, the, those sour beers that we mentioned before? Yeah. Um, how do they? How do you see that kind of beer fitting in with um, you know what you guys do and where the market is? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. Sour beer, you know, as you know, it's like how wide's the category? So um, you can go all the way, you know, to the extreme funky, funky farmhouse sort of end of the spectrum um, through you know sort of mid-range kettle sours through to uh, just light, refreshing type beers. So um, for us. Um, this range of beer is more on the sort of light refreshing side of it. So um, they're properly brewed beers um, and they're all made with real fruit. Um, they're soured, um, but we wanted to make sure that these beers were really clean, really well balanced, good natural fruit, um, but not too overpowering. So it's a really well balanced drink. And, and the idea for this is, um, you know, it's a great afternoon thirst quencher. Like, the watermelon sells more than the blood orange one at the moment. I like the blood orange, but um, they're a great afternoon sort of thirst quenching beer. Um, but they're also, you know, they're a great beer for people that might not yet be ready for bigger multi and bigger hoppy flavours. So um, that's the sort of area that that's sort of sitting for us. Um, you know, obviously, as we move on, we'll move, we'll have other ranges sort of more down the, more down the funky path. Um, but this is more of to get people into, into beer and into sour beer. Nice. Um, and was that, well, am I right in thinking that was launched sort of February-ish, March-ish? Yeah, yeah, it's probably around then. It probably came out March, April maybe. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, um, yeah, I've seen them online as I said, I've seen the caravan. I haven't, I haven't popped up um, in a bottle shop, but I'll, I'll check them out. Um, is it hard to do, you know, I guess your brewery's kind of built for these sorts of, you know, for, for design with these sorts of things in mind, but... You know, the volumes that you're working with, is it, I guess, risky to do a sour um, on that scale? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. So, um, well, first, like, the brewery can do anything. You know, it's, um, it's bloody flexible. You know, it's, it's a 50 hectolitre, which isn't the biggest brew, brew house in the world, but it's, um, we can brew 10 times a day. So we can crank this in hard or we can do specialties. Um, but, yeah, every, every time uh, we do sort of sour beers, um, it's an interesting process and, you know, our, we're just fastidious with the cleaning and it's um, everyone stands back, the suits come in, there's foam everywhere, everything gets scrubbed, polished. Um, John Selton's so particular around um, 
quality and control um, and making sure everything's absolutely perfect. So um, we've, we've never had any issues and we do so much testing all the way through every process that it's, um, yeah, we're, we're confident we can do pretty much any type of beer. You know, we do sours. We've had, um, we've done kombucha, different types of kombucha in the brewery. Um, that's the thing to be wary of, um, but in controlled ways. Um, yeah, there's a lot we can do in there. Uh, is kombucha under your brand or is it? Uh... No. no, so we, we, make, um, we make beers for other people as well. Um, well, for a lot of them, they basically use our brewery. Um, they've basically got the keys. But, um, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit of an open house down there in a way. So um, our beers are part of the story and then there's um, other people use the brewery too. So, yeah, it's a good, good setup. Yeah, all right. I can imagine it's, yeah, bringing kombucha into any breweries worrying, knowing how feral that can go. Yeah, we, we don't let anything sort of too wild come in. So everything's being pretty well processed when it comes in on the kombucha front. So, yeah, we're, we're incredibly cautious, cautious about those things. Hmm. Um, just want to mention, if anyone has any questions as well in the chat, um, fire them off. Uh, Sam Smalley um, is asking... Um, he wanted to know about the, uh, the altogether beer... Um, one of the questions was, what was it like to follow a recipe for that? It's probably a question for the brewers. Um, you know, did, did they learn anything from that process? I guess that's the question. Yeah, well, it's, um, so it's kind of interesting, and I don't know if it's still online, but that, it was very public. So they had, um, you could either do basically a hazy version or a West Coast version. Um, and we, we had a good chat to, um, actually, with Ben, um, Ben Cowan and John, they sort of, Work together on this and we decided to go down the more hazy path um, but we didn't want to go into sort of too heavy IPA or too heavy NEPA um, so it was almost like a hazy pale ale so it was a really soft light body but with a huge burst of hop aroma um, and when this thing was fresh like it, it, it was mind-blowing but again sort of freshness thing you know freshness is everything and this beer was made to be drunk absolutely fresh so it was burst full of hop aromas, um, but with this really sort of almost light, delicate, spritzy palette. Um, so you had a lot of lot of leeway in what you wanted to do, basically. Did that prompt um, any, like, techniques or uh, processes that you might use in the future? That was the second part of Sam's question there. Um, from that particular beer, um, I guess we used... Oh, there, was, there was nothing too revolutionary in that beer in what we've done. Um, I mean, obviously, we do different things. This beer that we're both drinking, for instance, that's pretty heavy on the cryo hops. Um, so we've been doing a lot of experimentation around that. Um, and we're constantly using new things. I think, Luke, if you've got the, the revolver there, you know, Equinot is sort of a bit of a thing at the moment. You know, there's a lot of Equinot in that. Um, so most beers that we make, we do something different in there anyway. Um, and when you... So everything's... John's been doing it forever, but um, it's a fairly new brewery and we're still trying to figure out the limits of it. Uh, someone else has asked, uh, what's John Selton's background? Where's, where's he brewed? Where did he come from? So he's, um, you know, he's, uh, a, you know, you speak to him and you think he's been brewing for a hundred years and he probably has, he's a mysterious <laughs> guy that, no, so he was, um, before Brick Lane, he was the sort of the head brewer and the founding brewer of Hawkers. Um, so he was with Hawkers from startup. And so he was there for sort of four, four or five years. Um, and before that, he was at Bright Brewery. So that's where he really learned his craft. Um, and actually, funnily enough, every, every year we do this hop tour, we take about 20 or 30 people up there and um, 
we always go back to sort of where it started for John, you know, in the hop fields, basically, um, uh, and a bright brewery. So um, he's uh, sort of self-taught early on, but obviously he's been through IBD and, um, you know, he, he judges all around the world now. So he's got a pretty good reputation for that stuff, but he's just a passionate brewer. It's all he's ever done. He's just brewed. I mean, The other life. thing about John at Bright is um, he... Like that is always a special place to have a beer. That setting is like a, that's one of Victoria's great places to have a beer, in my opinion. Uh, but he really transformed that, that the beer list. Everything there like went up several notches when he was there um, and really uh, made its mark as one of the good places to have a beer in Victoria, I think. Uh, it is. And you go back there now. And so we, we go back there every year with a busload of people. But, um, you know, John walks into like HPA, you know, and all, all the hop growers basically give him, give him a hug, probably not today, but the last couple of years they have. Um, so he, he's just, he's legendary up there. He's so unassuming, but he's just so passionate about everything. Um, the, only, the only scary part when we go up there is uh, uh, John's a paraglider. So, um, you know, we, we go up there and, and get up there sort of in the afternoon and do our hop tour and then we'll sit out on the, like the, we say this caravan park down the river there it's bloody beautiful and um this year we were sitting there out on out on this deck having a couple of beers and we looked up in the sky and there's someone paragliding and we had a laugh and i said i bet that's john and, and it was so he, he snuck out with no one knowing drove up the mountain and then just jumped off his um i hope, hope we don't lose him back there but if we do uh and he heads back to bright at some point we've uh we've got a great friend up there that is the origin story of the mia ipa that's yeah. it exactly um, it's, exactly. it's really it's really cool as well to see that beer still being brewed like for sure you know, yeah I, I remember yeah. Dave and, and you probably do as well when it was first released and there weren't many West Coast IPAs around um, in it the was market. a banger yeah and uh, you know, I think the beer like that story has always been kind of central to that beer and they're still telling that story as part of the beer and um, you know the beer right now the the current brewer is tasting you know as good as as it ever has so it's kind of cool to you know, he's left a really interesting legacy and going missing. Yeah. <laughs> and he does that wherever he goes, you know, even, um, you know, not even, but at Hawkers as well, you know, he made so many bloody great beers there. And, you know, the Hawkers Pilsen has amazing beer and, you know, he was famously involved in that. And then, you know, uh, when you see sort of uh, Hawker barrels of, you know, Aquavit barrels and stuff come out, um, you just see John smile when he sees these Hawker beers and like, he just loves having a, a role in things. He's, um, he's an incredible guy. Hmm. Um, so the current climate, um, where do you, I guess, you know, how, how are you guys feeling about beer in general? Like, um, are you going to be doing more experimental stuff or are you going to sort of wind things back and really focus on the core or, you know, do you have answers for that even? Yeah. Yeah. Plenty. Um, <laughs> everyone in Bricklane's probably got a different answer for it as well. <laughs> um, it's constant debates. So um, there's no more, uh, heated and in a fun way meeting than our NPD meeting, our new product meeting uh, that we have uh, every second week. But, um, yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, the main thing was to make sure that every beer we make is the best it can be for that category. You know, we just want to make sure every beer is bang on quality, it's consistent, um, it's the best that beer can be. So if someone has, like, our lager, they can go, wow, that's how, a, you know, a sort of a... Australian interpretation of a German Hellas lager can taste. You know, it's malty, but it's clean and crisp and beautiful and fresh. And um, and it takes a while to do that. So 
uh, we spent the first couple of years just making sure that we had a great core range of ears, which we've got now. Um, and then over the last probably three or four months, we've just really started to crank up the new beers. So um, obviously Super, we released Supernova, that came out. You know, we did that all together, Hazy Beer. We released the Sours, um, the Revolver, Dark Hoppy. Um, we've got uh, the Hazy IPA, which will be coming out fairly soon, um, which will be quite exciting. Um, and we've got another pretty cool beer, um, which will be like a one-off sort of uh, highly seasonal one-off beer coming out shortly as well. So um, now that we've got like the base, base range of beers sort of sorted out, um, the brewers are basically off the leash. And, um, yeah, we're pumping out some pretty interesting and exciting stuff. I really enjoyed your, your version of All Together. Um, really just a really great version of that style because, you know, the, the Hazy's, as listeners know, can go either way for me, um, but that was, that was really good. Did you try it, Dave? No, I didn't, didn't get to. I wish I had. Yeah. So I imagine it's all gone now. Actually, Dave, you, I think you were asking about what Brick Lane beers are likely to be at Carwin, and I was like, Maybe all together, but I don't, I don't, that could have like been, been a month ago. Could have been there. Yeah, I, I would have actually got um, got got some more if there was anything there. But yeah, right now at Carlin, just supernova. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think they um, have our, our red hoppy rolls through there a bit as well. So um, yeah, that I mean that all together was a good example of you know, trying to balance like the intense sort of you know double dry hopped aromas that you get and mouthfeel that you get and making it kind of delicate and balanced as well. Um, and it's always a challenge, but I think I think John got there with that. And uh, Ben Ben Carl was actually down there for Brew Day as well. You know, it's debatable how how you know helpful his input was, but he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting when I saw that team up as well. Um, you know, Carl and is quite often on the on the bleeding edge, uh, working with a lot of really small and you know the um, the kind of sole producers. Um, so it was kind of cool seeing that team up with you guys as well. I, I really you know. I, I like seeing unexpected, like in my mind, that, you know, that wasn't the, the two shop and the brewery I put together, um, but the result yeah. was really great. I mean, I think that the thing is, um, you know, like ben, ben, ben and other people like that, they, um, they just love almost like people who are masters at their craft and you can be a master at your craft in home brewing or you can be a master of your craft in a tiny little um, you know, 200 litre sort of vessel that's... Uh, barely commercial or a two hectolitre or whatever, um, or you can be a master of a craft that you're 50 hectolitre and some of the kit we've got in there, but arguably we don't need it, like, you know, cross-flow filtration and, you know, we've got some, like, we're the only ones in the country with it apart from, I think, Lion Nathan in there, but, um, or Lion, but we've got some really cool stuff there and, you know, people like Ben and people like others, they look at that and go, okay, if you're a master of your craft, there's a place for you and, um, you know, we do have a bigger brewery, you know, there's no doubt, but um, we're pretty passionate about the product that we put out. I um, I also really enjoy this this black um, black hoppy. Um, I'm, I'm going to just grab one from the fridge, but I'm still talking. I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I've had a bit of a renaissance with dark beers this winter. Take, take me through this beer, Luke. Come on. Uh, um, almost like mandarin, kind of candied sort of orange mandarin aroma. Um, really kind of soft, like soft mouthfeel, you know, like it's not like lacing down the glass pretty well. And my glass probably wasn't super clean and it's still, you know, it's, it, it's one of those beers that, you know, is really well put together just by how the look and the, the appearance. Um, 
and how well it just stays together. Um, finishes, not, you know, it's a, a decent bitterness there. Uh, not too sweet, not too bitter. Uh, you know, you can get through it pretty quickly. Yeah. It, and it, it sort of sits right in, you know, the, some of the beers I've been really enjoying this, this winter. Um, Bolta Elvis was, was really good. Hoppy Nitro, dark one from Wayward, I've loved. Uh, and it kind of, yeah, all of those beers have, have sort of done a similar thing for me where I've can just get through it really quickly and it's it's really interesting and there's you know unique characters but i can have three or four and still be quite interested um which is you know the, the challenge with a lot of things particularly in the, the australian market dark beers for so long were either uh well, we just really intensely roasty or now you know a lot of intensely sweet mm. um whereas you know coming from new zealand there's so much dark beer that's five percent really well made um really just designed to have in the cold winter as a session beer and you know growing up and drinking in pubs in small town new zealand where every pub has at least one dark beer um, and quite often just sessioning that all night coming to australia and going why can't i get that if you're <laughs> so, like, like step one with like hightail ale we could have yeah. easily gone to like some sessionable dark beers we just did it yeah it's very strange it's probably a climate thing as well. Um, and I think that, we have winter too, though, you know what I mean? New Zealand winter, depending where you are, I guess, but where I was uh, in in west coast of the South Island, you certainly need uh, something dark in the winter. Not all kettle sours here, though. Know? <laughs> well, and I think that's probably why sours and, and you know, are really kind of finding a, a hold in the market, which has been really cool. Dare I say seltzer is... Uh, the last three times I've been into a Black Arts and Sparrows over the last couple of months, I've heard people asking for seltzer recommendations. Um, yeah, the upcoming summer is going to be primed for someone to uh, put out some well-marketed seltzer, for yeah. sure. Any yeah. thoughts on that, Paul? <laughs> uh, I will touch on the seltzer, but on this beer, like, you bang on about dark beers, um, and I can't understand it either. So with this one, we've gone... It's full of flavour, both malt and hops, but it's got this really light palate and it's almost like clean and spritzy and you want to, it's refreshing, you want another sip, but you've got masses of flavour. Mm. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, well publicised, but Lion had a few issues around getting supply out on time and um, I went to a pub in that unsuspecting pub, but they had um, Tui's Old on tap and um, and it was fresh and like, it's such a good beer. You know, it's... Um, you get flavour, you get this lovely palate and it's refreshed and you want more. Um, dark style beers, you know, Schwarz beers, like the traditional Schwarz beer style, they're such good beers and I just don't know why they're not, haven't taken off. You know, in Asia, people drink them like lager. It's, um, mm. you know, it's one of those things. Um, yeah, seltzers, it's unstoppable force. It's, it's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I don't know if it is going to happen. Like, it's still kind of, no one's really sure, but like as I said, anecdotally, hearing every time I go in and hearing someone asking about them, which is you know I'm only in there for the shortest amount of time possible at the moment, and yeah. people are people are excited. Have you yeah. frozen there, Dave, or are you just sitting awkwardly? Well, Dave might have frozen. Yeah, yeah. So oh, there he is. There he's back. He's back. Sorry, um, oh, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Seltz is interesting because obviously it's um, you know. White Claw, you know, whatever in the States, it's a runaway train. Australia's probably a little bit different. I mean, we've got, for better or worse, quite an RTD culture over here. So there's um, people already drinking those type of products. Um, the last few years, we've had 
the everything pink. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, rosé or, you know, Campari or pins or whatever more years back that um, basically anything pink is selling well. RTDs have always sold well here. So there's a lot of alternatives to seltzer. Um, so it might be that it doesn't become this absolute dominant force in the industry, but there's, you can't hold it back. There's no doubt it is going to be big and going to grow. Um, last summer there was a couple here, you know, Quincy, I guess, and um, not much else and probably didn't hit the right mark, I guess. Um, but, yeah, from you just have to have a look at the fridges and, you know, there's just mass confusion. You know, you've got RTDs, you've got seltzers, you've got pre-mixed cocktails. Like, it's a, I don't know, I get confused when I look at it, but you, you can't sort of stop this force coming out of the States. It's going to happen. I think one of, one of the interesting things is, um, you know, a lot of the seltzer market, and I think of bars that would, you know, the bars that would probably attract that the kind of seltzer, um, the higher end seltzer, I guess, or the, the people that just want a really refreshing, well-made but tasty drink, are already kind of doing cocktails or spritzes on tap. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's kind of got a wide adoption, at least in probably in inner city Melbourne, um, I'm sure, as you go out, it's probably quite different. Um, but... You know, and whether or not that means people are ready to try different things, uh, you know, yeah, the fact. Do you think the take-home ability of, like, a um, seltzer product will uh, keep it in the forefront of people's minds where they might out-drink the kind of spritz drinks or that sort of thing, uh, where they can take home a six-pack of seltzer and sort of have it fresh in their mind all the time? Yeah, I mean, there's a convenience factor to anything that's in a... 250 mil or 300 mil slimline can you know it's it's easy it's compact it's you can carry it you can put it in the fridge and chill it down quickly and you can drink it with no consequence apparently to your to your waistline because everything's marketed on you know <laughs> under 100 so um there's a lot of things that i can see why consumers buy it um i guess from a product point of view the challenge is always going to be that inherently there's no there's no mastery in making that product you know it's um you can either make it as something that's dosed with, you know, ethanol um, and flavour, or you can brew it. Um, but if you brew it, what you're basically doing is then stripping the life out of it um, till it's a clear, a clear beer, basically. So, um, what you're left with really is a um, a liquid that is almost commoditized um, in a sense. Um, however, I guess. For us, you know, and everyone has to be looking at it, you know, we're having to look at it. And the challenge is how can you bring something to it? I mean, if we can't bring something extra to something we make, like there's no point doing it. So with seltzers, how can you bring something more um, than just some sort of generic commodity? And there's probably ways you can do it. I mean, it's fresh, it's bright, it's lovely. If you introduce new interesting ingredients or botanicals or fruits or um, there's, I think for the people that bring something to the party, um, there's something there um, for others that are just making a fizzy cordial. Um, I think that's a, yeah, it's a short lived proposition. Mm. Uh, getting back to beer. Uh, speaking of pink things, I've just opened a Sambo from your mates brewing. It's part of the Gabs pack. Thanks to Gabs for sending me a pack. Um, I think they're doing a live tasting next Friday uh, online. Check out uh, Gabs Facebook. We'll tell you all about that. Um, it tastes like a salt and vinegar sour beer. Is Sambo a word play on Sam Boy chips? It must be. I don't, I don't know if I'm familiar with them. Not familiar with chips. It's, um, <laughs> it smells like salt and vinegar chips. Like, 
uh, if that's feel bad, but I mean, oh, I, need, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I want another sip even. Like, <laughs> but I, I didn't hate it. Uh, Gabs beers. It's yeah. Know, I mean, it's, I mean, part of the fun of Gabs is having stuff that you talk about but that you didn't like. So yeah. you got to have them packaged for COVID-friendly Gab sessions. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I I love it that we can have a market where we're you know talking about a really well-made dark hoppy, talking about seltzers and talking about obnoxious things and they all make sense to us <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is as long as you do it well that's, that's all that matters in life really isn't it you know do it the best you can um we've got some questions from the chat here someone's asked about the new yakima looper max palettes do you know anything about those no i do not okay um, right, move on then <laughs> um, this one's from a Zoe O. I don't know if anyone knows who a Zoe O might be. But she's up? asking about any plans for a West Coast IPA. She's asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah, she's asking for herself, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think Zoe's um, being, uh, being pretty cute there. You know, so, no, obviously, Zoe works with us. So, um, she's. <laughs> um, we did, funnily enough, so going back to the supernova, um, a lot of the beers that we've made, we've just bought pretty much straight to market. Like it's been, John, you got, you know, when you've got one crack, brew it, brew it right, and it's going to market. Um, for the supernova, we actually did about four different runs and put them out um, in keg for trial and feedback and tasting. Um, and we did a West Coast IPA version early on, and it was quite full on as well. Was, you know, we're up at about... Seven, seven, five, seven, four, seven, five, um, and it was a lovely beer. And then, as we sort of refined it, we went a bit more down this um, sort of really pure, clean, less pine, less resiny, um, a little bit more tropical, which we've got in a supernova. Um, but I, internally, we we're pretty split. You know, do we do this as a West Coast or do we do it, do this as sort of a modern take? And uh, um, so, a West Coast is on the cards. Um, so Zoe, uh, hang, hang out for a bit longer. Um, all she cares about, by the way, is her monthly staff allocation. That's why she's asking. She <laughs> wants the free coast to West Coast IPA next month. So, um, I, I imagine bringing a seven percent West Coast IPA to market is pretty hard now because you know a lot of us in the industry love them. Um, you know that's what I am looking for. Like, if I'm going down to the the shop to buy three or four beers the first two are probably going to be West Coast IPAs that I haven't tried. But yep. I can't imagine, uh, you know, is, is there a risk of selling volume of that kind of style to, to justify bringing it out? It depends why you're doing it. Like the, the Supernova 6.8, um, but it depends what the purpose of the beer is. And if it's to make the best beer in the style, which is our, you know, underlying philosophy, um, the ABV is almost irrelevant. So if you want to make the best beer in that style, you do that. And, so this revolver, you know, a hoppy porter. Um, arguably, we could have made something at know, 4.9 or 5 and banked a bit of excise and lowered the price point, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was to make the best hoppy porter in its style that we could, and that's what we did. And it'll be the same when we do a West Coast. Um, it won't be compromised to try and hit a price point through ABV um, because that's not the purpose of these beers. The purpose is to hit the best of the style, um, you know, we've got other beers that sell in bigger volume, you know, like our lager and our One Love Pale Ale selling large volumes and because um, they're the best of the style. But these these beers, like, they don't need to sell big volume. It's not, not what it's about. Mm. Um, this is where the brewers have fun and challenge themselves. 
Uh, there have been two comments. Um, someone says, please bring us the pine bomb. Uh, Elder Taco, thanks for that. I agree. And uh, Sam has said, don't dumb down the pine and resin more, more, more. Uh, you can tell. I disagree. Zoe's so, so, so obviously wrote someone in there as well. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> um, Elder Taco has also said the, um, the Sambo label suggests it's related to Samboy chips. So, Definitely. Uh, my second sip, by the way. I'm actually, it's, it's growing on me. It's, it's one of those beers that you like underneath. There's clearly a very well-made beer there. Um, it's just the vinegar up front is a bit. Ooh. I can't believe there's no Sandboy chips. You, you never grew up with Sandboy chips. Uh, I don't think so. We're Bluebird in New Zealand. Tragedy, tragedy. Um, Sandboy salt and vinegar, to be fair, was the shit. That was the best, yeah. yeah. Uh, someone, uh, Stu217, is asking... Um, what are some of the other brewing companies that have used your equipment? Are you allowed to say who that is? Or is that um, like a trade secret? No, no. I mean, I mean there's a few that um, brew some stuff in there just because we've got uh, kit that others don't have. So, um, you know, Sam and Dunk from Hop Nation, um, some, some of the beers that they make, um, they use our brewery for. Um, and they, they get in there like they brew. So it's, um, it's, not, it's not like we're, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not like here you go make beer for us. Um, those guys are all over it. So... Um, they do it. Um, we make some beer for um, one of the big retailers um, as well, which is no secret. You know, we're open about it. So we do that. There's a beer called Timmy's out there that we make. Um, we do some stuff with Young Henry's. Um, so there's a whole bunch of breweries. And but I guess we're really different because um, we've built this thing. And, it, you know, seriously, it shouldn't be just kept for us. You know, I mean, it's, it's too nice and there's too much stuff in there. Um, and our philosophy is if other people can use it and make their beers better, um, more efficient, do different styles that maybe you can't do on a small, a smaller brew kit, then bloody hell use it, you know. And um, so, yeah, we've, we're pumping out a lot of beers out of there. You know, I think since we've commissioned, we've made about 80 different beers in our brewery and we've got a portfolio of maybe 12 of those are ours. So, um, yeah, basically we love other people coming in there. John loves brewing with other people. Um, we love seeing other brewers in there. It's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. There is a question about that exact thing of John brewing with other, other people. Uh, Stu's asking, um, he doesn't want to turn it into the John Salton Appreciation Society, but he was lucky enough to spend the day doing the Be the Brewer at Bright. Uh, have you considered doing something like that? I think Be the Brewer is people pay to, to go and hang out with John and brew a beer. Yeah, well... Um, I mean, people would love to spend the day uh, in the brewery. Um, a full day with John's a lot, so we'd probably carve it up a bit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, we've, we've never, you know, I guess we're just running so hard on doing so many things. We've not sort of put all these formal sort of brew for the day programs or anything in place. But, um, you know, anyone that's been down there knows you just need to rock up and knock on the door and, we bring people in, we show them around, we, you know, it's a complete open house, you know, take photos, do whatever you want in there. So we're really open about it. But the brewer for the day thing, yeah, fantastic. Um, we've, we've done it, not advertised to public, but we do it for other people as well. Um, so local groups, home brewers, we've had home brewer groups through there, obviously anyone in the industry. Um, but yeah, I guess we just need to be a bit more organised and do it formally, you know, since COVID, accepting that, um, yeah, absolutely. It's a good idea. So, Stu, just go knock on the door and wander on in. It sounds like. <laughs> well, not now, because we've uh, <laughs> yeah. breweries in lockdown, so it's brewers only um, at the moment. But, yeah, clearly once we get through the COVID thing, um, 
yeah, absolutely. Like genuinely, anyone will tell you. Literally, you can knock on the door and someone will come down and show you. So, it's, uh, op- was opening as a tap room as well? Uh, not. A, we've got an area at the front that was that is designed to be a tap room, but we don't have a bar or anything in there. Um, but what we have had is just a mobile bar in there, basically like a pretty rudimentary setup. And we open on Thursday and Friday, and um, we do a lot of takeaways and. Um, we're in a bit of an industrial area, so a lot of the industrial workers drop in on Thursday and Friday and have a couple of beers and then get some takeaways. So um, we've got plans to build it out into with a kitchen and a proper bar. Um, but again, you know, in the current environment, we're just waiting to see what happens. But our, our main hospitality venues are Queen Vic Markets. Uh, we're just starting to probably wrap up, so if anyone um, has any more questions, drop them in the chat. Unfortunately, um, uh, Sam Smalley uh, is wrong um, thinking the Sandboy Chicken was the shiz, but um, the salt and vinegar is the best, so we can draw can you still Can you still get the chips? Are they, is it a brand that still exists? Good point. I'm not sure. I went on a Ruffles hunt a few years ago. Um, you, you can, are those like uh, sneaky little crinkles i love them and the rough yeah. anyone that did that uh, i feel like sandboys around but i don't think they are actually yeah i think i think like kettle chips and pringles just killed everything didn't they oh, yeah. 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 um it's been reintroduced this is in 2008 uh i'm not sure there's the second result is what happened to sandboy chips fair enough um i'll keep an eye out for them at the supermarket huh still not sure about the beer <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave, did you have any more questions? No, I did not. Uh, Paul, yeah, I did. I mean, like, what do we think's like the vision of Brick Lane for the next five years? Oh, for us, it's um, just keep building out our portfolio of beers. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a pretty good base of core beers that go really well, and then you know they're national, they're widely available, um, and that's been what the first couple of years is about, just getting everything in order so we can you know, pay the bills, you know, we've got a beautiful brewery, but it's not cheap, you know, it's, um, we need to pay the bills like anyone else. So our core range of beers is, um, you know, is doing all right. Um, so now it's really, last sort of three or four months, it's pretty much giving the keys to the brewers just to say, get creative and go nuts. And um, you'll just see the amount of new beers coming out from us now is just rapidly accelerating. So this, this is the fun time. The first couple of years have been tough, you know, it's, it's not easy getting something off the ground, but now the brewers are, coming into their own and they'd have a bit of fun. How much have you learned about beer in the last four or five years? Oh, ridiculous amounts. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. Like, I, I live and breathe it, you know. Um, you know, um, any time I can be in a brewery, I'm in the brewery. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, my ultimate aim is to, uh, you know, work for John um, in, in, on the brew side. So, um, yeah, that, that's where the fun is. That's And it's such a creative process. It's just... It really is kind of incredible. Um, and the other side of it as well that I guess you don't see as much or get, doesn't get talked about as much as, you know, the, um, the barley farms and the maltsters and the hop farms. And, you know, through, if you look through the whole chain, there's so many exciting parts of beer. You know, um, you know it's not, this is not, I mean, you go to a tap room and you just see the, the process within a brewery. Um, there's so much more that goes on right from the farm gate all the way through its um, yeah, it's limitless what you can learn about beer and what goes into it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, where do people uh, find your beer? How do they find out about it if they're not sure? 
So um, all the core range is through sort of the national. So you'll get that in, you know, in Dan's and Lickland and First Choice and BC. Um, all the other beers like, you know, your Revolvers and Supernovas, um, they're through all the indies basically. Um, and all the good beer stores. So depending on where you live, um, you'll find them in all the, you know, whether it's Carlin's or, you know, your Brewski's or those sorts of places. So, um, or we've got an online store as well, which, um, you know, has been pretty handy in COVID. We basically didn't have an online presence before COVID, but um, it was a, actually it was an instigation of our sales team who, you know, obviously overnight didn't have pubs or anything to call on. Um, they said, why don't we do something about the online store? And it was, it was left to them to do something. So they all came up and said, all right, we're going to do uh, the online store. We're going to do same day delivery. Um, so all our sales team have physically themselves been doing seven days, same day delivery. So they wait 2 p.m., the orders come in, and then Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, they jump in their cars and they go out and they deliver all the orders from that day. So, um, you know, some of the stuff that's come out of COVID and what people are prepared to do to support others around them is, like, genuinely phenomenal. You know, it's been pretty mind-blowing. Um, final question from the chat. Uh, what's your favourite part of a brew day? Favourite part of the brew day? Yeah. My favourite part and the part I miss the most, not being in the brewery every day now, um, is in the morning, the smell of malt. Like the smell of malt coming out of the brew house is just, it's like a, it's like a big cuddle. You walk into the brewery and this like beautiful, warm malt sort of stuff just filling the air. To me, that is just amazing. You know, obviously, you know, when you dry hop, you get all these pungent hop aromas, but that's, there's something about that soft, comforting smell of malt first thing in the morning that's amazing. A great evocative answer. In the uh, online shop there, Paul. What's that? Does anyone find the online shop to buy some beers? Yeah, it's just our website, bricklanebrewing.com. So, yeah, yeah jump, j- jump on there. They're all on there. Um, <clears throat> excellent. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat. Um, Dave, we'll probably be back in a fortnight by going by the COVID numbers. We'll be still inside. But I've been enjoying these chats. Um, so if you're keep an eye on our social media for uh, any, you know, these um, for future episodes, I've forgotten how to talk. Uh, <laughs> Revolver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dave, where do people find you? Uh, Mel Dave on Twitter. Uh, Dave at Out of the Time. Send me an email, please. Do it. Blue, you. <laughs> at Isle Time everywhere, um, uh Hypothetical Institute in your podcasting apps for conspiracy theory stuff. What are we expecting uh, next? Uh, this week was a topic that Cam came up with, which was really boring. So we just kind of ripped on Cam for an hour or so, yeah. uh, which is some of my favourite episodes. What, 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 what was his pitch? Uh, the, the topic is um, it's called NISARA, which is a trade agreement um, act that never happened, but it's all around finance markets and there's Bitcoin and what's involved. what's the political element about it? Well, apparently when it happened um, in America, everyone's, um, everyone's debt was wiped. And so it's already happened secretly, allegedly, and everyone was out of debt and the economy's taxed differently and it's all just, yeah. There is some aliens involved, um, <laughs> but you're going to have to listen to the Hypothetical Institute to find out how... 
Look, don't get your hopes up. Um, it's not, not as exciting. There's your sizzle, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and as I said, yeah, we'll probably be back in a fortnight with a different guest, um, and this will be out on a podcast if people want to re-listen. Um, but it's always good to have people in the chat, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, sure. Uh, Ideas about maybe an interim, sh- uh, interim show or interim something. So patrons, maybe stay tuned, but we'll talk about it off air. For sure. Uh, cheers, Paul. Cheers, Dave. Luke, Dave, cheers. Cheers for the questions, everyone, as well. (laughs) 